Hello, and welcome to Esoterica. I'm Leah Eichler, Managing Editor of Esoterica Magazine, and I'm so delighted that you decided to join me today. This is our first broadcast of 2022, and I couldn't be more thrilled to introduce you to Barry Levine. So Barry Levine, uh, also known as the Scoop King, is the <laughs> author of this riveting book. And I really never use that word lightly. I don't think I've ever used the word riveting. It is a riveting book called The Spider Inside the Criminal Mind of uh, the Criminal Web of Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. So we're going to chat about this book uh, about Barry's um, notorious career to date and what we expect to have for him from him uh, in the years to come. And um, I I'm actually, I'm actually nervous to talk to you. <laughs> this never happens. Do not be, um, Leia, do not, do, do not be at all. I'm, I'm honored to be on your broadcast and particularly your first show of the uh, new year. Hopefully it's a good year for, for all of us in the media so as too. we, as we move forward. And um, you're certainly your, 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 your viewers and your listeners out there. Um, I hope everybody has a, a safe and uh, prosperous year ahead. I, I hope so too. Yeah. So, uh, so Barry, uh, you've developed this uh, unique and fascinating expertise on the rich and powerful men who are rich and powerful, but also predators. Um, so how did you stumble onto this beat? And, and what, what was your fascination? Well, my fascination, I mean, I had a long career in, in print and television, worked for magazines, worked for newspapers. I was a Sports writer in, in my early days, uh, covered Muhammad Ali's uh, last uh, fight in the Bahamas, which I was very honored to do for actually for Reuters, a place where, where you worked in the past. Um, That's right. I was, I was just a young uh, pup uh, in those days uh, and uh, thought I wanted to do sports. But the romanticism of, of, of journalism is something that always um, uh, was fascinating to me, kind of the... Chicago front page mentality, the press card and the fedora type of um, sense of journalism, that larger mm -hmm. than life, go out and get the story, stop the presses. Um, and I actually made a decision out of left field. When I was relatively young, I joined on to uh, Star Magazine as a reporter in Los Angeles. I moved across country from um, Philadelphia where I was, uh, where I was living. Uh, Rupert Murdoch had started um, uh, the star up in those days as mm -hmm. a uh, celebrity ta uh, tabloid uh, to compete with People Magazine and the other celebrity magazines of of, the, of that period of time. And I just was, in, in fact, one of my first assignments was to um, um, Canada. I think I had to find uh, Barbara Streisand and Don Johnson. Don Johnson was <laughs> Famous TV star back then on Miami Vice, and they were having a a, a secret romance, and uh, somehow I, I stumbled onto um, you know them, and kind of the rest is history. Uh, I I spent many years um, doing celebrity reporting and, and and big news reporting, and then I moved back to New York and uh, spent ten years working in uh, television for news magazines, um, a, a current affair. TV was the, the granddaddy of, of of the of the nightly shows, and I I covered as managing editor. I oversaw the coverage of the O.J. Simpson case. We did 250 straight days on that 
wow. uh, particular trial, every every nuance, every nook and cranny, every individual related to OJ. Um, and that was also a period of time of these big true crime stories, larger than life mm -hmm. stories. Uh, one involved um, uh, the Susan Smith case involving right. um, the the death of her um, uh, two children. There was a huge case here called the Long Island Lolita involving a, a woman named Amy Fisher who right, ended up shooting her um, um, boyfriend's uh, wife in the head. And yeah. it, was just, it was a period of time of just these sensational, sensational cases. There was a case up in Canada, um, the Ken and Barbie murders, I believe. Oh yeah, you're talking about the Bernardo uh, trial. Bernardo yeah. trial, yes. Yeah. So we, we, we covered everything. So yeah. although he's had a fascination with with, with true crime mm -hmm. when a ju jump start to donald trump's early days of his presidency mm -hmm. and i had kind of ended my my routine of, of of working for magazines and newspapers and really wanted to go out at the you know latter part of my career doing my own thing and was really searching for a book to do and the disclosures at the time involving Stormy Daniels uh, mm -hmm. re related to uh, Donald Trump uh, and, and some of the other things that were that were leaking out early on in his presidency. I was fascinated with what more was there below the surface involving Donald Trump. Um, mm -hmm. Donald Trump was somebody who, over the course of my television and print career, had, had followed and, and, and covered, um, but really didn't know a great deal about um, those issues. And I, I, I thought, well, there has to be a ton of books uh, on Donald Trump and women. And after my investigation, I found that really nobody had written a definitive book. So mm -hmm. I set out to kind of explore the backstory of Donald Trump and women. Of course, um, also in my mind was the uh, famous Access Hollywood tape, right? Um, the, 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 the grab them by the you know expletive yeah. uh, yeah. tape that had emerged uh, uh, during the campaign, in which he weathered that storm um, and other other allegations at the time from women, mm -hmm. but. I set out on a reporting mission and I was um, actually quite shocked at, the, at, at in fact, I, I want to read you a statistic that I have in my book um, that um, uh, um, at, the, at the time of, um, uh, at the time of my work on all the president's women, Donald Trump in the making of a predator, when I was researching, I found a number of allegations involving him. And through mm -hmm. my, myself and my team, my co-author, Monique Alfaze, a great uh, journalist who had worked in New York, who's based in Paris, who I wrote the book with, um, we actually in this book reveal another 43 allegations, bringing wow. a total of 67 incidents of alleged inappropriate behavior involving Donald Trump and women, including 26 examples of unwanted sexual contact. And I was, I was frankly blown away by the, um, um, the stories, the, the very disturbing stories, many of them that had never been told uh, right. about Donald Trump. Um, and, and of course, Donald Trump is extremely litigious. Uh, he mm -hmm. has attacked 
all of these women calling each and every one a liar. Right. I threw up a, I don't know, it had to be a 30 to 40 page memo that I sent to the White House um, after my reporting was complete, taking the White House through every single allegation that I found and right. giving them a, a chance or even giving um, President Trump at the time an opportunity to sit down and explain himself and go through each and every incident. They, of course, brushed it off. They didn't respond at all. His, his, pre his press secretary at the time, Stephanie Grisham, who now has turned on on Trump and, and Melania and has, has written her own book. And, you know, she at the time called it, you know, the book trash, like all the other books that were out there about Donald Trump. But I included every single um, denial, everything, every single thing he said. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to provide his side of the story along with the White House and his right. uh, campaign team's uh, version of events. And mm -hmm. it's, I mean, you you have over sixty some odd allegations of mis, you know, of of inappropriate behavior in women. Every single woman Donald Trump has called a liar. Some of the women he said, "Oh, I wouldn't even, you know, to paraphrase, I, I wouldn't even go after uh, someone like that because they're not my type." They're right. Know, he would disparage their looks and and so forth. It, very very upset you know, upsetting in terms of the responses. But again, right. this is, this is an, as I, as I learned so much more about him uh, that, that came to light in, in the research for the book is that he, when Donald Trump turned 13 or 15, he never grew intellectually beyond that point. He was the same bully that he was right. back at the, um, New York Military Academy, where his father sent him because Donald Trump, you know, could not stay in regular school. He had, uh, he certainly had issues, um, anger issues, which today would have been properly diagnosed. <laughs> he probably would have been put on medication. Right. Uh, back in those days, his father's attitude was he needs a good lesson of, of, um, going to a military academy and learning how to march and waking up at a certain time and make his bunk. But as I talked to um, former um, classmates of his at the time, he very much was a bully. He uh, took part in hazing incidents, alleged hazing incidents at the school. Um, he was always putting down uh, anytime a classmate showed up with a, a girlfriend, Donald Trump was putting them down. Uh, and, and Donald Trump's father, in fact, uh, uh, who, you know, ha had affairs, uh, actually brought striking young model types to the military academy when Donald Trump was a teenager. So Donald Trump could parade around in front of his classmates with these older women. It was such a bizarre. Oh, it is really bizarre. Bizarre, bizarre period of time. Uh, and Donald Trump took on a, uh, you know, I mean, Donald Trump's hero is himself, as, as we know. <laughs> Somebody who we greatly admired was Hugh Hefner. Um, right. You know, he spent time at the, at the Playboy Mansion. He fancied himself as a Hugh Hefner type. And the magazine, for the most part, is fantasy. It's, it's, right. it's, it's fantasy 
targeted at, 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 at you know, at, at teenage boys with, with, you know, with, with centerfolds of, the, of dream girls, Donald Trump prescribed to that fantasy and mm-hmm. wanted that life um, uh, and wanted um, not so much relationships, but he, he, he wanted to take part in that continual fantasy. And as I learned in the reporting of my book, um, many times when he encountered women, um, his only sense was the allegations from these women is to take what he wanted in terms of groping, right. in terms of kissing them. Um, I relate an incident in the book that uh, took place at Mar-a-Lago on a, at a New Year's Eve party, where a woman who had, in fact, who had been married at Mar-a-Lago, um, her husband was um, uh, very ill. He had uh, he was in the final stages of MS. And they went for a particular night to Mar-a-Lago to to celebrate the new year. And Donald Trump uh, was uh, taken with this woman. Um, She was an attractive uh, blonde woman uh, who she had told me he had uh, um, approached at previous events at Mar-a-Lago because they were members of the club there. And Donald Trump literally came out behind uh, curtains and and groped her and grabbed her as she as she said exactly like what he described in the Access Hollywood tape, and days later, Donald Trump began calling her and saying, um, "I could uh, fly you to New York. Uh, your husband doesn't have to know." She was so appalled, she was so sickened by all this that 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 every time w- w- when she heard that tape, she just recoiled and. Um, it took many months for her to build up courage to tell this story. And uh, I don't course, doubt it. They, the white house wouldn't comment on, on her. Uh, they wouldn't respond. Uh, but th- there's so many stories like that. It's crazy. Now, through, through that book. Yeah. I really learned about his friendship with Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein uh, was another uh, wealthy guy living in Palm beach, Florida had his own mansion near Donald Trump. As we know now through the flight logs, many of them redacted through the Gillian Maxwell trial, uh, Donald Trump uh, flew on Jeffrey Epstein's private planes, uh, I I think six or seven times. Uh, There's a a true friendship and history there. I talk in the book about a particular uh, party that Donald Trump threw at Mar-a-Lago, which involved him, Jeffrey Epstein, and about 25 uh, young women. Uh, They were the only men at this party. Uh, They basically spent an evening at this particular party. It was just the two of them and uh, 25 young women. Right. uh, Donald Trump, of course, today has put down his... uh, put down Jeffrey Epstein, says that he barely knew him. Uh, all you have to do is look at the history of the photos. Right. You see that you see uh, the two of them, you see, in, in fact, well, Donald Trump and Melania deny how they actually met. Jeffrey Epstein has claimed to friends that he was the one who introduced Melania to Donald Trump. Right. So you can take that for, for what it's worth. Of course, they, they say they met um, uh, that 
uh, Jeffrey Epstein did not uh, bring them together. But there are photos, many, many photos showing uh, Melania, Donald Trump, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell, Prince Andrew. In fact, I've right. one photo in my book that shows all of them together in the, in the same frame. It's, it's right. remarkable uh, at a night at, at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, of course, people found it interesting while he was still president that when Ghislaine Maxwell was arrested, um, he, uh, I, I can't remember specifically what he said, but he, he basically said, uh, you know, she was an okay person. Yeah, he showed some respect for her at the time. I remember it was yeah, interpreted through conspiracy theorists that, right. you know, what does she have on Donald Trump? Was that exactly sent, you know, by him to her to, hey, take it easy on me. Don't. You know, right. Um, keep it quiet, which actually leads me to uh, my next question. You know, you say, I mean, I mean, granted, everyone's been following the the, the story of Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. And really, you know, I, what's what's really kind of hit me in this book is is just the sheer number of abuses. I mean, it's it's almost incomprehensible. Um, and also it's a it's a very interesting insight because into Epstein's life. I mean, one line that really struck me is you said that perhaps leverage was the true love of Epstein's life. Uh, so can you elaborate on that? I mean, that's, that seems to be his modus operandi. So um, maybe that translates to Ghislaine as well. Well, you know, it's interesting, as I pointed out, that Trump was the bully. When Jeffrey right. Epstein was growing up in Brooklyn, New York, he was bullied. He was the you know, he was the the the, the nerd with the the pocket, literally with the pocket protector. He was a, a wizard at math, but he didn't take place. He didn't take part in any sports. Uh, he was bullied in his uh, in his neighborhood. Um, he told kids in high school uh, that that there was one thing that he wanted to do in his life. He was going to be rich. He was going to be mm -hmm. richer than all of them. Um, I actually toured his boyhood home very modest row house in Coney Island, Brooklyn, in this little community, gated community called Seagate. There was two bedrooms, one for his parents, one for him and his brother. There was a, a narrow hallway that connected the kitchen. There were exposed water pipes. Jeffrey Epstein grew up in an extremely modest upbringing. Uh, and as I said, he was bullied and as he moved through life, he, his goal was to collect important, influential people that he could have some control over. Mm -hmm. And so the, the bullied went to being something of a bully himself in terms of collecting this, this group of, of scientists and politicians and finance people. And it, there was also the, the dark side, his, mm -hmm. his secret life that he began living out in terms of his sexual abuse of these underage girls. And it really, beyond uh, sexual, it, it had to do with control. It had to do with power. Um, that's why, as I reported in the book, when he was arrested uh, in New York in 2019 and, he, and placed in, a, you know, in the lockup 
here in, in Manhattan, he completely unraveled. He fell apart because he had no longer had any control in his life. And I, you know, despite conspiracy theories that he was silenced for secrets that he knew of rich and powerful men, I do believe he took his life because he lost total control. This was a guy who had to have the temperature in his bedroom set at, at 58 degrees. He had to have the certain amount of towels put out after his massages, which were actually, you know, sexual encounters with the underage girls. He, he wouldn't allow the employees who worked in his various homes to, to look him in the eyes. Um, this was a guy who created this, this world. At one point he wanted to, um, he brought in scientists because he wanted to, um, uh, basically um, impregnate women and create, uh, you know, create his own uh, children of a sort. I mean, he, he was diabolical in, right. in, in a certain way, but the, the, the depth of the um, uh, sex trafficking and the, the prosecutors in the Maxwell case really focused on a timeline of 1994 to 2004. And, during that period of time, there were there were hundreds of of young girls who were who were victimized at his home in Palm Beach, Florida, uh, at his uh, townhouse here in, in, in Manhattan, New York, at his mm -hmm. ranch, the Zorro Ranch in New Mexico, uh, at his uh, his own island in the Virgin Islands, uh, his his apartment in swanky apartment in Paris. Uh, he would use his his private jets to fly these uh, women around. But I do believe that the, th that the depth of his depravity would never have been as great had he not associated with Ghislaine Maxwell. Mm -hmm. When uh, they hooked up in 1991 after her father, Robert Maxwell's death. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting uh, whether or not her father actually arranged for her to be brought to Jeffrey Epstein if something would ever happen to him because right. there's all kinds of uh, ties between Epstein and, and Robert Maxwell. He was hiding Robert Maxwell's money in offshore accounts as late as the 1980s. Mm -hmm. They were both, they both had ties to the Israeli Mossad. They both fancied themselves as spies um, there's a question there if tradecraft was was taking place, if right. they were assets uh, for intelligence gathering. Uh, it's it's extremely mysterious that right after her father's mystery death, where he fell off, was went overboard his his yacht. She believes right. that her father was murdered. Uh, others say that uh, the, the autopsy came back that he may have suffered a heart attack and mm -hmm. went overboard. There's still questions as to right. as his death. But what we do know is that she ended up in New York with Jeffrey Epstein right after that incident. Mm -hmm. And when they came together, I, I absolutely believe that she had no sense of Jeffrey Ep Epstein's secret addiction with mm -hmm. predatory behavior with, with, with young women. Uh, but she made a decision at one point to either make a decision to flee him when she found out about his desires or take part. 
Mm-hmm. And I'll read you something quickly that I have in my book. And I'm, I don't know how far into the book you are, but uh, uh, this was, uh, I think this explained everything in a nutshell. And uh, this was in 1997. This was six years after her and Jeffrey Epstein came together. She had invited Christina Oxenberg, an old friend, to celebrate the success of Oxenberg's novel. And at some point in their conversation, Christina brought up her relationship with uh, Ghislaine's relationship with Jeffrey. And she and Ghislaine said, Jeffrey is very important to me and I need him to marry me. Oxenberg recalled Maxwell saying, Maxwell said Oxenberg confided that she was unable to, quote unquote, keep up with Mm -hmm. Epstein's, quote unquote, sexual appetite. Because of Epstein's needs were impossible to meet, those were Elaine's words, Elaine felt obliged to, quote, bring him young girls to fulfill his sexual needs. Now, at the time, Oxenberg had, had come upon something that was monumental in terms of the secret to Jeffrey Epstein. But her reaction, as I think most women would be they just recoiled she recoiled in horror to 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 even be you know hearing this in a conversation with Ghislaine Maxwell and tried to change the subject but before they left that conversation this was something that I think also was extremely telling about Ghislaine Maxwell Mm -hmm. she went on to say and this is a direct quote about the young girls she said quote they're nothing these girls they are trash now to me, that explains from a something of a, and I'm not a psychiatrist by any means, but it 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 it, it shows me that Maxwell was able to do what she did because she had no moral compass related right. to the grooming and the recruitment of these girls for Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. Uh, if she had as a as a a big sister or a mother type figure with these with these young girls she would have never allowed them to be put in the hands of of Jeffrey Epstein or as the young girls uh, have alleged they were also put into the hands of of Jeffrey Epstein's some of Jeffrey Epstein's male rich and powerful friends right so, I, mean, so, sorry. so I, I want to make one, one other yeah, point. The, the, the level and the extent of the uh, sex trafficking, I believe, would have never been as great mm-hmm. if Elaine Maxwell had not been involved. When right. she was associated with Jeffrey Epstein early on in their relationship, they came across as a, as a couple. They mm-hmm. came across as a safe couple, her and Jeffrey's line to these girls, to their parents, was let us mentor your daughter. We think she has talent. We're going to help her get through college. We think she should go to music school or art school. Uh, They presented themselves as saviors for a lot of these girls who grew Mm -hmm. up on the wrong side of the tracks, who came from troubled families. uh, And they presented themselves together, as mm-hmm. I wrote the book, as a predatory Bonnie and Clyde, uh, when in fact all all they were all they were using each other 
were, were uh, to basically acquire these girls to initially get their trust. And then, of course, we know what happened through all of the court depositions, through all of the lawsuits language. We know how uh, their childhoods were taken, how they were abused, uh, how, um, in, in fact, as we know from the Maxwell trial, mm -hmm. uh, how she herself took part uh, in some of the abuse. She wasn't actually charged with sexual abuse. She was charged with sex trafficking and sex trafficking and conspiracy and was found guilty on five of six counts, now facing 65 years behind bars. Mm -hmm. There's a wrinkle, however, that your listeners should be aware of if, if they're not. And that is in the past few days, two of the jurors have come forward to disclose that during jury deliberations, they discussed their own uh, sexual abuse victimization. Mm -hmm. Now, that in itself is, uh, 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 I would say, it wouldn't hinder the outcome of the um, jury verdict. However, the big question that remains, and the judge is going to be looking into this over the next few weeks, is whether those two jurors had uh, during pre-jury uh, pre, uh, selection, they all the jurors had to fill out a 30-some-odd um, uh, page questionnaire. Mm -hmm. There are specific questions on that questionnaire related to uh, had they ever suffered uh, sexual abuse? Were they aware of sexual abuse with friends or family? And if they had answered yes, certainly uh, through the Vadir uh, uh, process in jury selection, uh, the uh, judge could ask them about that and, and you know, would it influence their decisions and so forth. Right. Um, if they perjured themselves and made those admissions to the other jurors during jury deliberations, but did not advise the judge and prosecution and defense teams in advance, then, of course, there could be grounds for a mistrial, and which would mean the judge would make a decision whether Ghislaine Maxwell gets retried. Wow. Yeah, I, that's, it's crazy. I mean, I, I think that's what I found quite shocking about the book is she wasn't only, you know, the madam of this, you know, uh, twisted brothel, uh, so to speak. I think you refer to her that way, but also uh, participated in the sex acts. I mean, she was, uh, and you know, she she got, you know, she was part of the interaction. And and I mean, it's hard as a woman. I mean, you touched on the um, the Barbie and Ken uh, murders in Canada. You know, our expectations of women are different. I mean, we almost, you know, we have different values. I mean, you think the you think the the court system, the jury, do they look at her more severely because she's a woman committing these sex acts? I mean, how 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 do you think the perception perception of her is in in the public domain? Well, we we didn't get to hear from Elaine herself. She right. made the decision. The judge asked her while the jury was out of the room whether or not she wanted to testify on her behalf, mm -hmm. even if. As the judge said, even if your defense lawyers um, 
have uh, have have recommended that you don't testify as a, uh, a defendant. She was given that right, and right. she said that she would not testify because she believed that the prosecution had not presented their evidence, you know, uh, to a degree where she felt she needed to defend herself. Um, I think that the prosecutors did. Uh, as good a job as you can do by bringing forward uh, four minor victims. Mm -hmm. um, the defense team tried to um, uh, attack the credibility of these, of these women, uh, saying, well, they all, all of them uh, shared in the compensation fund uh, that they received um, uh, monies uh, between a, a million, $0.5 million and $5 million dollars. Um, that compensation fund was uh, rightfully so put together for the, the victims. More than 150 victims applied to the compensation fund. It gave out more than $120 million to Jeffrey Epstein's victims. Of course, you can't put a price on, on what, the, what these women are still going through, the loss of their childhoods, the loss of their innocence and so forth. But uh, these women who collected these uh, th these sums uh, had every every right to do so. However, right. the uh, defense team tried to put them down, saying this was about money. Uh, tried to bring up past statements, saying they didn't involve Ghislaine at the time. Uh, they attacked them on nuances and some of the testimony that um, they gave, which might not have matched exactly what. They had told the FBI many years before, and even the the two uh, members of the jury that could possibly cause the mistrial. I think it's interesting because they both brought forward, at least we know one did, during mm -hmm. jury deliberation, one of them felt compelled to tell the other jurors, hey, I suffered sexual abuse, and I understand why these women who we heard from may mm -hmm. not have had all their facts straight because oftentimes you forget things, you mm -hmm. block out things. So mm -hmm. as a victim of, of sexual abuse, one, one of the jurors pointed out that, hey, I believe, I believe this woman. I believe what right. she said because I understand what she went through from, the, from, their, from that individual perspective. Mm -hmm. now, that would be fine if, in fact, the prosecution, defense, and judge signed off on them. What we don't know is whether or not they were fully truthful in the questionnaire, and we'll, we'll mm -hmm. certainly see that. But I do think the prosecution um, uh, did as, as, as certainly as good a job as they, as they could do. I think Ghislaine Maxwell's defense for the upwards of $5 million war chest that she mm -hmm. put together um, did not fully have their act together and also relied on a false memory expert who has testified in some famous recent trials involving Bill Cosby, involving Harvey Weinstein, in right. which, um, in which it, it obviously did not play into juries today of mm -hmm. knocking down, of, of attacking um, of the victim. That just doesn't work today. Right. I mean, I guess that's progress. I don't know. It's so hard to say what progress is anymore. Uh, so let's talk about uh, conspiracy theories. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier on or touched on um, 
on, um, you know, whether or not, uh, you know, the, the conspiracy surrounding Jeffrey Epstein's death, uh, you know, obviously the internet went wild, you know, whether or not he actually did commit suicide, did something else happen? I mean, I'm not normally one to pander to uh, conspiracy theories, but after reading uh, most of your book, I mean, the man was just so powerful. I mean, wh what are your thoughts on, on, on his ultimate death? Well, there's no question in my mind that there were people who are out there today um, who would have preferred Jeffrey Epstein not be alive to face his own sex trafficking trial. Right. Uh, because we still don't know all the secrets that he that he knows about people. I do say in the book, and again, all of the uh, all of the men mm. that his friends and associates who are uh, included in the book uh, from uh, uh, and, and there's been no specific allegations against Bill Clinton or Donald Trump, although what, what's interesting, as I wrote in the book, is a very close source of Jeffrey Epstein's told me that Epstein said at the time of the 2016 election, you know, if I knew, if the public knew what I know about the Clintons and, and Trump, uh, there wouldn't be an election. Now, what, what, what that means, right. I, I certainly don't, I certainly don't know. Uh, and of course, the other men, his associates uh, and, and friends, Prince Andrew, um, Alan Dershowitz, the, the lawyer, uh, Glenn Dubin, one of the finance seers, um, some uh, politicians uh, um, who have been um, named uh, by some of the accusers, uh, all vehemently deny um, knowing anything about Jeffrey Epstein's dark side or, or participating with him. Um, all of these men, you know, in a, in a blanket way, say uh, they uh, had no idea what Jeffrey Epstein was doing, and they would have never associated with him if they if they knew. Um, wealthy men who have, even after his slap on the wrist conviction in Florida in 2008, where he um, uh, did the plea uh, mm. for uh, solicitation of a prospect prostitute of a minor, um, uh, still did business with him when he returned to New York. Jeffrey Epstein passed that uh, when he was named a sex offender from the Florida case in 2008. He said, he said, I did nothing worse than steal a bagel. That's how in his mind he, right. viewed, he, he viewed that uh, th that slap on the wrist rap. Um, and he did business with powerful financiers here in New York, Leon Black, um, head of the Apollo, uh, global CEO of Apollo, uh, the financial firm, um, ended up uh, paying Jeffrey Epstein. I think the New York Times, Wall Street Journal reported more than $150 million for um, uh, financial advice. Right. Uh, uh, you know, famous people showed up at Jeffrey Epstein's parties after the Florida case, uh, George Stephanopoulos, Katie Couric, uh, he was still associating with um, uh, Prince Andrew and, and, and others. Um, uh, it, it just, none of it makes, none of it makes any sense, uh, mm -hmm. I have to say. Uh, but getting back to your central question, yes, there are people that no doubt would have wanted to see Jeffrey Epstein uh, dead, 
Uh, I, however, uh, uh, do not believe that uh, that he was killed behind bars. I do I do believe that he took his own life. I, in fact, brought in uh, a reporter um, who I absolutely trust uh, by the name of Philip Messing. Phil, uh, who I've known for many many years, had been the chief um, um, police reporter for the New York Post uh, for for decades. Had done outstanding work. He worked with me on that part of the book. And we did a very extensive investigation. We talked to um, inmates who were in with Jeffrey Epstein as part of the suicide prevention program. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is nothing to indicate that uh, Jeffrey Epstein's cell was breached that night. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, it was a uh, comedy of errors just in some dark way. We right. know that the two guards on duty that night were looking at the internet and and and, and falling asleep. Uh, there's a reason why that uh, prison has now been that jail has now been shut down because mm-hmm. it was uh, uh, absurd in, in, in terms of how poorly run it was. Mm-hmm. But Jeffrey Epstein was in a secure cell uh, to have um, breached his cell would have required. Uh, a massive conspiracy because certain um, uh, uh, locks on on certain doors leading to the wing of Jeffrey Epstein's cell could only have been opened from a central uh, uh, jail office, Mm -hmm. uh, which means it would have involved uh, uh, many individuals beyond just a a guard who happened to be on that particular night. we report in the book that Jeffrey Epstein was actually heard cutting up uh, bed sheets uh, the night before uh, by someone uh, nearest in his cell. And that I do believe that, uh, uh, as I said, going back to Jeffrey Epstein being bullied as a, as a youth and, and then having a life where he had total control of these, of these girls, he would make, some of these girls like sleep at his feet. Um, it was, a, it, it, this was the, the type of lifestyle uh, that he lived. And when all of that was taken away, all the homes were taken away, all the jets, all the fancy cars, uh, the travel, and Jeffrey Epstein was eating his meals off the floor of this, of this uh, uh, cell. Uh, is that this was a guy who I think cracked very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And and he was asking questions, what life would be like if he was sentenced in a federal prison? And of course, when you take advantage of, of, uh, when you're a a, a child predator, you take advantage of uh, young girls, um, very often you're going to be abused yourself by other prisoners. Mm -hmm. And I think Jeffrey Epstein feared this, and I think that his last act of his own control, power that he had over everybody else, was that uh, he wasn't going to give them the opportunity to send him away. And he took mm-hmm. it, took his life because he knew that unlike what happened back in Florida in 2008, he was now facing a sex trafficking trial in the Me Too era. Um and it was go, and that the that the feds this time were were building, a, were going to build an extremely 
uh, hard case bringing forward these these women. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that he, even though he told his attorneys he was willing to fight, 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 and was building a, a, a new team of, of power attorneys, is that I think in his heart he gave up and right. uh, and, and and took his life. And there was a, a very brief window mm-hmm. when he had the jail cell to himself because mm-hmm. the next day another cellmate was going to be brought in and a cellmate from the previous day had been moved out. And right. so, you know, Jeffrey Epstein was found hanging in his, in his cell. I, you know, you mentioned them to me and I'll, I'll maybe, maybe last question. I don't know. There's so much I want to know, but um, you mentioned the me too era, but you know, I, I can't help but thinking, you know, in light of this book about Jeffrey Epstein, about uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, you know, your previous book on, on, uh, you know, former president Trump and his, and his women. I mean, there's a, is there a moral to the story? I mean, they seem to be, there's tef, these, they seem to be Teflon men who really, nothing really sticks on them. I mean, I mean, we, we don't know what would have happened, uh, you know, had uh, Epstein survived. However, I mean, reading your book, it, I, I somehow wonder if these men are somehow I don't, immune to the laws of the land. Uh, is, there, is there a future where that is not the case? Well, in the Epstein case, the prosecution focus on Ghislaine Maxwell was extremely narrow. Right. They didn't get into the larger issues of other men involved, but that's a question. I mean, we do know that the government is sitting on thousands of photos. They only right. brought forward um, photos where they showed the jurors of Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein together to establish a personal relationship. There are so many other photos. Are men on any of those photos that the government has possession of? Mm-hmm. And what about the, um, uh, the, the, the absolute belief and evidence that Jeffrey Epstein had um, videotapes, secret videotapes from his homes. Where are right. those, where are those mm-hmm. videotapes? I, I tell one story at the end of my book about an individual in Russia who claims to be sitting on, on, some, uh, on some of Jeffrey Epstein's tapes that were given to him by a disgruntled uh, Palm Beach detective who was just appalled by the decision that was made to give Epstein the slap on the wrist conviction. So, right specific to the Epstein case, I do hope we can learn more over over time through redaction and through the court process by um, reporters moving ahead and filing lawsuits to get some of this material redacted. I hope that the Prince Andrew uh, civil case right now, which is one of Jeffrey Epstein's accusers, mm-hmm. um, has brought forward against Prince Andrew a right. civil case specific to sexual abuse by Prince Andrew. I hope that case moves forward so we might learn more about this system of, of, of other possible men that Jeffrey Epstein may have um, involved with, uh, with, with some of these girls. Uh, there has to be that. There has to be an awareness. We have to find out more. We have to probe mm-hmm. uh, in, in, you know, in, in an absolute direction forward. Uh, if, if, if Donald Trump makes the decision to run for president again, I, I, I hope that um, the issue with women will uh, again uh, um, be, it certainly won't be front and center because his supporters could care less about, uh, about the allegations made by, uh, by women against Donald Trump. But certainly, uh, 
deeper investigations need to take place mm -hmm. if he wants to run for president again. And there's a, a, a woman, uh, E. Jean Carroll, right, uh, right. in New York, who is really fighting the court yeah. system uh, in a civil case involving mm -hmm. uh, an alleged rape by Donald Trump that she is, uh, her and her lawyers are really fighting hard to get hurt in court. Mm -hmm. and, Donald Trump did everything he could while he was president to shut that down. He brought in the Department of Justice and himself against that. Now that he's out of office, uh, his lawyers are still um, pushing to um, um, uh, kill off that uh, legal proceedings. But E. Jean Carroll is a courageous, spirited woman. Uh, she mm -hmm. plans on moving ahead. And mm -hmm. I do hope that case moves ahead. And, you, you know, all of these men, need to be brought to uh, justice in, in, you know, in, in whether it's a, a criminal forum or a civil forum, because that's the only way we're going to be able to uh, move forward. Right. I hope well said. I hope you're right. Um, so where do you go from here? I mean, you know, there was all the presence, women and now spider. Um, what, what is like, what's next for, you know, the scoop, the scoop king? Well, uh, the, the Scoop King effect that people may say, what's the Scoop King? Is that a guy who scoops out ice cream? That was actually when I uh, uh, left one of my jobs at the New York Post, uh, put a headline, uh, the, you know, the Scoop King uh, uh, is, uh, is uh, going to do his own thing now. But um, uh, I, I, I hope that there's more books in me. I hope uh, that there's some uh, more true crime books, uh, maybe some other subjects that I want to explore. Um, I don't know if I'm ready for a third book about uh, uh, predators, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll okay. see where the winds blow and where uh, I'm, I'm taking next. So, Well, this has been a fascinating. Yeah, I really appreciate you giving me uh, a time on your, on your show. I've enjoyed this conversation and uh, um, I wish you the best uh, uh, with your venture and uh, moving forward. Thank you. Thank you. Barry Levine, everyone. Thanks so much for your time. And uh, we look forward to having you on again. Sure. Very happy okay. to come back on. Thank Take you. Care. Good night. Yeah.